Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk Radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Delighted to welcome the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, right now. Good morning to you. Gito Hurry. Uh, he was the communications director to Boris Johnson when he was mayor of London, who's just told us here on Talk Radio uh, that Dominic Cummings was a psychopath at the heart of government. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I, actually, uh, I, I obviously I've worked with Dominic Cummings over the last year, year, year and a half, um, and he's often the person in the room who, you know, as the conversations developing, will say, "But why? But why are we doing this? You know, uh, does it have to be done that, done that way? Shouldn't we be challenging the sort of uh, the, the 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 sort of standard approach to whatever the subject is?" And it's good to have people in the room uh, like that. And I, you know, I, it, you didn't have to always agree, and sometimes we did, and sometimes we didn't. And uh, but advisors are there to advise. The prime minister would decide, and. Uh, uh, you know, I thought that that process um, usually meant we came out with better decisions. Um, lots of people being very critical of, they say, a sort of a, a quite a sort of a hostile, um, a difficult environment to work in at Number Ten, confrontational. Uh, Gita Harry used the term uh, ideological, myopic. Um, with if with Dominic Cummings, again, he's got he's got you know good things and bad things about his ability to get things done. We all know that. But um, you know, love him or hate him, is it the case that if and when when he's gone, that things will be different in number 10? And, and if so, how will they be different? Yeah, I mean, I should say I, I don't entirely recognise the, the sort of characterisation of, of, of all of that, because when people would say, well, unless you were a hardcore Brexiteer from the outset, you couldn't get... I mean, that's just just, just not true. I, you know, I, I happen to vote Remain myself. Uh, having seen that the country had decided, I think it's absolutely right um, that you then follow through on it and he brought that level of determination oh, get on perfectly well it made no um, difference at all and so i don't i don't recognize that fully but having said that uh, it's amazing i think that we're sort of sitting here in a sense spending this time talking about uh, an advisor or, or 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 two different advisors if you take into account lee kane rather than the really big things going on this week, like the rollout of mass testing in Liverpool, that breakthrough on the vaccine, students well, coming well, except they, no, except they do have a very big impact because we know Dominic Cummings was absolutely crucial for the first lockdown in terms of decision-making and, indeed, the second lockdown. And, indeed, to the fact that we even have a mass testing, so-called some moonshot programme, for that Liverpool rollout, something that uh, no other major economy has uh, attempted. We have more testing available 
every day now. There's half a million tests per day um, than per, per head than any other country, and certainly any country in Europe. And that's before you get onto these lateral flow tests. That's the tests which give you the results very quickly and some of the innovative tests being used okay. in Liverpool. A lot of that would not have happened without somebody in Downing Street saying, how, why, can't we do this differently? And that's sort of shaking things okay. up. So, you know, I think I think there's been a lot of real world value to uh, all of that. But I do also think, you know, there are a lot of other things happening and we shouldn't uh, Absolutely. Well, let, let's talk about other things happening. The um, highest daily figure for uh, positive coronavirus tests that you recorded yesterday, 33,470. It was a 50% jump on the day before. Unusually, we had Alok Sharma, uh, business secretary, giving the press conference at number 10 last night. First time I've ever heard a minister actually sort of talking down those numbers, looking at seven-day averages, trying not to sort of big them up for justifying things uh, for bringing in more lockdowns. We've had quite a, quite a big change of pace. Um, to what do we attribute the fact that there are suddenly 33,000 coronavirus new infections in one day? Well, yeah, I mean, this, you know, remember back in September when the chief medical officer and chief scientific advisor did that press conference and said, uh, you know, if, if we don't change things, we will see numbers rise. And a lot of people said that wasn't going to be the case. Well, of course, it is night follows day when people con are in contact with each other. That is how this virus spreads. And um, so, uh, you, you know, as long as the R rate, the reproductive rate, is above one, the numbers will carry on going up. That is a fact. I think the point that Alex Sharma was making last night was um, that we, we just will need to see a few more days before we assume that that is the uh, total trend. Uh, people had been commenting in the few days beforehand, that uh, the week beforehand, perhaps, that things were looking much flatter in terms well, of... People weren't commenting. The data was showing the infection rates were going down. Yeah, well, that's right. But then that's why Alex Sharma makes the point that you need to look at it overall rather than a single day to answer your points about okay. why he was pointing that out. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is there are two things which I think are um, a, a very good news. One is, of course, the mass testing program we were just talking about. 67 more uh, directors of public health around the country have asked to take part in that program. We're, we're sending out another 600,000 lateral flow tests this week. That's in addition to the regular uh, testing program. So we're getting to the point where we can see on the horizon this hope of people being able to test every couple of days, and see whether you've got the coronavirus and then be able to either isolate or get a, go okay. around. Go about your, and sorry, I'll just say in addition to that, you've got the sort of double whammy on the virus of the vaccine. Well, of course, if we I mean, get this... these two things together, then we, we can see that there's light on the horizon. OK, does that mean we are going to see the second lockdown ending definitely on the 2nd of December and that we won't see uh, that continuing any further, certainly through yes. Christmas? Yes, we'll definitely see the lockdown end on the 2nd. Uh, the reason I can be so certain is that is the law. Uh, we've made it so it, it expires on the uh, 2nd. Um, with, with regard to your question, Christmas, we're obviously going to have to come out and we intend to go back into a tiered system. This depends on the way that millions of us behave, of course. If we uh, make sure that we adhere to the social distancing, uh, where there are tests available and some of this mass testing, if we take those tests, if we um, uh, are you know, sensible, then we hope to be able to be in a position where by Christmas uh, we can get families uh, in some form or other. It will be limited. It won't be the usual Christmas. It's going to be very different in 2020, but hopefully be able to get some families together. Okay. But it's a big but. I can't predict the path of this virus uh, because it depends on the way that millions of people behave between now and closer to the time. OK, so it'll be our fault if we can't spend Christmas with our families. Well, it's, I mean, look, I'm not blaming anybody, It's uh, apart from to say that there's no mystery how this thing spreads. We, there's, the science is well understood now. 
you know, if, if you and I are closer than, than a meter and a half, two meters together, and we spend some time together, uh, at, it, it is possible if one of us has it, the other one okay. will get it. It's as simple as that. It's not about blaming anybody at all. Let's it, talk, it's just the facts. Let's talk about what's under your remit as travel, uh, under travel as transport correspondent, uh, lots of different fields. Uh, travel quarantine, lots of talk about these lateral flow tests, these rapid tests. They're being rolled out, you know, to people with no symptoms whatsoever in Liverpool and you say 67 areas. Uh, why have we not got these at airports so we can actually enable our... I mean, again, it's not about people going on holiday. It's about a massive part of our economy, planes being able to fly in and out of this country safely um why are we not using these tests at airports on a mass scale yes so to be, to be clear what you do and don't find out from the test um if you were to on day zero when someone gets back to an airport um test people remember of course that if you're flying you must already be asymptomatic you shouldn't have any uh, if you think you've got coronavirus you must not fly that's the that's the law so uh, you're talking about people who don't have symptoms uh, and uh, the problem with the day zero test, because we know about the incubation period of these tests, is it will only find a shrinkingly okay. small percentage of do people on, who Do it five days before those. people fly. I mean, you know, yeah. You, yeah, that's at the right. moment, lots of countries allow you to go there, but you have to have a test done within 72 hours or a week showing yeah. that you're... Unfortunately, why can't we just those... do two tests? We do a test on sure. the day and we do a test five days beforehand. So... First of all, unfortunately, a lot of the countries who I often have cited uh, have found that their approach of, for example, don't worry, just have a test or have a test 72 hours before, have found it didn't work. France and Germany are obvious examples and where they've had to actually undo some of those policies that I've had quoted to me for weeks. I was listening to our medical advice. They were telling me it wouldn't work and indeed it didn't. So that has been sort of disproven as it were. However, you are absolutely right that there must be a way of reducing quarantine in return for a, a test. And the Global Travel Task Force that I'm chairing with the Health Secretary uh, has come to the same conclusions. And I will be saying more about that um, very soon as we line up for testing capacity, which we need from the private sector and for passengers to pay for those tests, a, in, in return for a reduced period of quarantine. And I'll be saying about more about that. I hope you'll have me on your show. Uh, always, always, Grant Chap. So also, let's talk about the travel that most people do, travelling around their local area. Today, you're announcing a further £175 million to create safe space for cycling and walking. Now, we know we can't magic up uh, new sections of road. This is taking away roads that you normally use for uh, for cars and other automobiles. Um, certainly in my area, and I know many other people arguing about, you know, actually, it's all very nice closing off roads and, and narrowing things and letting people cycle lanes. But it does mean you end up with solid traffic, arterial routes down to one lane across the large swathes of certainly London and many other cities. Um, you're told that this has got lots of public support, but are we sure it has public support? Because around my yeah. way, it certainly doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have public support when it's done badly. And you mentioned around your way, I, also around my way, I had a, a scheme which was appallingly done and was quickly um, reversed in a village called Wellin. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so you're right, it, it has to be done right. And um, it, it, you, it's also the case that we've gone out and spoken to people uh, in improper opinion polling uh, eight out of ten people support measures to reduce uh, road traffic in their neighborhoods two-thirds of people uh, are keen to have more space for walking and cycling but in order to make sure that we get the right kind of schemes in place uh, i put in place a whole series of checks that the local authorities will now have to go through i mean number one they must consult on it some of the problems we had before were them just rushing to put things in which weren't consulting or consulted on uh, they'll have to pre present uh, evidence they'll have to uh, have a monitoring period six to twelve months and be prepared to remove things which which don't work but it isn't the case that it always takes up road space there are also um, things like cycle paths uh, people's ability to get from one place to another most journeys in towns 
uh, um, less than two miles. So walking and cycling uh, is not only good because it reduces traffic, it's also good for people's health. So let's do this sensibly, and that's what I'm trying to do with this 175 yeah. you, million. You walk, two mi- you walk two miles in the rain wearing high heels, Grant Shafts, and we'll, we'll, we'll see how... Oh, carrying heavy shopping, I, I, delivering two children to school, and you'll probably see it's not quite as easy as you think. Uh, look, I accept it's not... Uh, and I'm not... Uh, one thing I want to make absolutely clear as I announce this money for cycling and walking is £175 million for cycling and walking is up against £27.4 billion pounds that I'm putting into roads. All right. So I am hugely pro-car. I'm on your side. I'm hugely pro-car. Uh, I want to have good roads. Actually, they're good for uh, bikes as well, of course. But it, it's not one against the other. It's being able to help people get except, around. Except in the way it often is. Let's talk about one against each other. Final topic, Stonehenge. You finally, after many, many years of wrangling, huge, huge upset uh, for lots of people, uh, proved the Stonehenge tunnel, uh, two, almost £2 billion, pounds of the A303 being wired into a dual carriageway and placed beneath the World Heritage Site of Stonehenge. It's caused an absolute uproar. I have to say, I struggle to understand what the issue is in terms of the harm to the landscape, but I do struggle to understand why you're having a single lane road that's going to stay pretty much a single lane road, a single lane carriageway, virtually the entire way apart from under uh, under the uh, in, in, under the tunnel. It, why on earth are you not making it? I mean, I would argue against this on the basis that you're not doing it enough. You're not going far enough. Why are you not having a dual carriageway to actually link uh, Cornwall and Devon everyone to our capital city with better transport links? There are other sections of the A303, which is the road in question, which um, are also uh, having planning uh, upgrades considered right now. So uh, your wider points taken. I have to be just a bit careful about what I say about the Stonehenge section, because it's a quasi-judicial um, decision. I set out my uh, my decision uh, yesterday, and I can't go further for six weeks whilst it can be appealed uh, through judicial review. But... Just to quote others, uh, historic England have said that a tunnel is a good idea. The National Trust have. And English Heritage in particular said it was a landmark day for Stonehenge to get traffic uh, off the uh, road right by the um, by Stonehenge. Um, so I best not comment further, uh, but I, I note your your thoughts on the uh, on the subject. And it is the case the A303 is being expanded in other areas. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley-Brew. Let's turn our attention back now to uh, the issue of uh, Dominic Cummings. Of course, uh, he is going to be leaving Downing Street at the end of the year, along with Lee Kane, the Prime Minister's Director of Communications, two men, heart of the Vote Leave campaign, heart of a campaign to get uh, Boris Johnson into the uh, Premiership, uh, well, maintaining the Premiership in December, that 80 majority, uh, and uh, very much leading uh, communications and a strategy in government uh, all this time. But what difference would it make with both men gone. Let's talk to Chiquito Harry. Uh, he's a former communications director to Boris Johnson when he was mayor of London. Good morning, Chiquito. Hello. Good morning. Um, what big, uh, well, how big a difference do you think it will be to have uh, uh, Boris Johnson in number 10 without, in particular, Dominic Cummings by his side? Well, it's huge because a lot of people may think these are just backroom boys, backroom boys and girls. But in the end, they set the tone, they give a voice, they set some of the strategic direction of government. And that direction, and certainly that voice and tone, has been one that I have not felt reflects the kind of leader that we have in in Boris Johnson. They've been uh, myopic, they've been ideological, they've been unpleasant, they've been confrontational, they've been dismissive of people. And to be honest, if you remember that horrendous press conference that Dominic Cummings did in the summer, he treated the British public uh, with contempt as if we were all complete idiots and uh, you know to have a psychopath at the heart of government is not healthy in any democracy and I think that the election in uh, in the USA has reminded us all that that kind of politics is an aberration not a new norm and uh, it's time we get back to decent politics. A psychopath at the heart of government is how you call him at the end of the day and it's a fair point as a former cabinet minister said to me a little bit earlier you know Boris Johnson is in charge there's a lot of people who sort of blame Dominic Cummings for things or they're blaming Carrie Simmons, his fiance, for, for putting her tuppence in uh, on, on Lee Kane and, and the like. But fundamentally, Boris Johnson's in charge. When anything happens in his government, it's in his name, isn't it? It's in his name, yes. And that's part of the problem is when you allow people to do things in your name that you wouldn't do yourself, you end up, if you don't disown it, owning it. And that's been uh, that's been a problem. It's damaged Boris. He's hemorrhaged authority and support on the backbenches of the Conservative Party because he's tolerated behaviour in Dom Cummings that, you know, would be wrong and indeed illegal for most of us. Last summer, if you just think of uh, of that trip, you know, across cross half of Britain with suspected COVID. Um, But you're right, in the end, he had to make the call. And what's encouraging this week, and I think morale on the backbenches in Parliament and indeed among uh, the sensible people people in number 10, is already taking off at the thought that he's finally faced these people down. Um, Yeah, I mean, a lot of people feel that, and again, particularly people who were Remainers, feel that uh, he's been been a problem. There's no doubt at all that Dominic Cummings is a very strong driving force. Uh, There's no doubt that he has an agenda which goes way past what Boris Johnson's ever talked about in terms of reforming the civil service, shaking everything up. He's he's, he's, uh, very much taking a wrecking ball to a lot of our institutions. I have to say, I'm rather in favour of a lot of that. I, I'm in favour of that. But I think perhaps his his style, perhaps uh, uh, perhaps not suitable for where we are right now with the pandemic and the economic uh, problems we face. Um, is there a concern, and do you share that concern, having worked so closely, and I know you're very, very close with Boris Johnson these years you were working in, in, uh, in uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the mayor's office in London, that, that actually... He doesn't really have much of an agenda himself. And he, very similar to Theresa May with her two senior advisers, when they left, she was left rudderless. Is there an argument that actually Boris Johnson won't have an agenda? There won't be any sort of Johnson 
policy drives. There won't be anything that he personally believes in that's going to be at the heart of government. No, I think there's a lot of things that he believes in, but he is pragmatic. He's broad minded. What he did in London was cut crime, cut taxes, record investment in transport, uh, Great Olympics and all the rest of it and champion the economy. That's pretty good. What's been a problem for him is this myopic focus on one ideological issue to do with our structural relationship with the European Union. Well, that was what he was elected to do. Well, he would not have won the election and ate a majority. You're right. You're right that because we, you know, we got to a situation where there was a referendum and then the, the referendum went a certain way. People wanted it done, dusted, so we could get back to schools and hospitals and the economy and all those things. So, yes, the framing of the last general election as a way of putting us all out of our misery of Groundhog Day was, was rather brilliant. And, you know, I even yesterday argued that there's a place in government uh, for people like Dom Cummings. I have a lot of sympathy for people who, uh, uh, who who go up against the machine that says, we've always done it this way, so this is the way it's going to be done. That is very creative. But what you can't have is a situation where somebody like Dom Cummings is like a player on the on, on the pitch who doesn't pass the ball to anyone else, and yet he doesn't score tries or goals, pick your sport, himself. Uh, and that's the problem that all lines seem to lead to him. It's also stopped the Prime Minister from hiring good people because no decent person wants to go in there and answer to somebody like Dominic Cummings or indeed the sort of groupies around him that he brought in, people like Lee Kane. Yeah, I mean, there has been an issue, hasn't there, in terms of the, should we say, aggressive style of government. I mean, very, very different to your style. I mean, having known you and worked with you, uh, you know, in, in the House of Commons, you know, in the Commons in the lobby many years ago. Um, do you think that that stuff matters to ordinary voters, though? I mean, do, do you think that the communications, what goes on in, in number 10, that that really matters in terms of what policies are made and, you know, and, and whether or not we're in a lockdown or not in a lockdown, how we're tackling the pandemic, how we get out of the economic quagmire? I think it does. You know, one level, if you can't organise a, a press conference, if you tell the press that there's going to be a press conference at four o'clock uh, and you leave them waiting till 7.30, at one level, who cares? It's a pandemic. But on the other, it's absolutely critical. If you can't organise a press conference, as they did to announce the latest lockdown, and keep to that time, and you leave people waiting, you know, how on earth are you going to convince us that you can roll out a mass vaccination programme, or that Britain can actually uh, emerge, you know, through Brexit, out of the European Union, and not crash? If you can't get those little things right, really, a press conference in number 10 is like the proverbial piss-up in the brewery. And this lot have failed to organise a piss-up in a brewery, so it's about time that they're a professional, pragmatic, charming people in there who want to make this country work not go and trash things and slag off the institutions online on dab and on the talk radio app talk radio professor david wilson is a professor emeritus of criminology at birmingham city university good morning to you good morning good morning Julia. well reports today that the yorkshire ripper has died in hospital age 74 um he apparently refused a treatment for coronavirus that is uh, what uh, has been uh, reported strict coronavirus protocols meant he sought to spend his last moments alone visitors barred from his bedside he spent almost 40 years in broadmoor and in prison he murdered 13 women he attempted to kill seven others between 1975 and 1980. Um, for those younger listeners who perhaps don't recall that time, I mean, I was a child uh, at that time, but you know, he certainly sort of impacted, you know, inflicted on my on my brain from that era. Um, tell us just how just how significant these the cases were involving him and how big this manhunt was. Well, it was 
he was one of our most prolific ever serial killers and his case is worthy of consideration and reconsideration simply because he was able to escape detection for some five years. He started to attack women way back in the 1960s, although he didn't kill his first victim until 1975, Wilma McCann. But he, in other words, was constantly attacking women for a very long period of time. And then once he started killing, um, uh, he was able to evade detection for some five years. And here's the big issue, Julia. Even though um, he was interviewed once every four and a half months during his killing spree by the police, he was never at all arrested as a consequence of those interviews. And therefore, what the case did was draw attention to the police's inability to catch a motivated serial killer like Sutcliffe, which, of course, was going to lead to um, a report by the then Chief Inspector of Prison, Sir Lawrence Byford. And um, I mean, a very highly intelligent, very manipulative man as well. Totally manipulative, and I, I hope people are going to see through the various things that were always said about Sutcliffe or Sutcliffe himself put into the public domain to try and control the narrative about um, what he had done, because, of course, he claimed he was hearing voices from God. He claimed that um, he first heard those voices when he was working as a grave digger, and those voices... Um, he said, from God, commanded him to kill sex workers. However, this seems to have been, many people, in, uh, his brother and his own family never believed that to be true. And there are some case-specific um, uh, materials which suggest that he was as sane as you and I were yeah. and simply manipulating the process because he felt he would get easier treatment within the secure hospital estate rather than the penal estate. Indeed, yeah, most of his time locked up in Broadmoor and then in prison. Um, it's interesting, though, about a week ago, The Sun reported that he had tested positive for coronavirus. There is a, a, an issue of, obviously, coronavirus infection spread in prison. He's put into isolation. Uh, he had got long-term health problems, uh, heart issues. He had diabetes as a result of obesity. A lot of the pictures we see of him, very out of date, obviously, now. Uh, he was in a high-risk category, uh, but he was moved to uh, a, a hospital but refused medical treatment, we understand. Uh, well, he a, was a Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness, Witness as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, uh, he would not uh, he would not allow the medical authorities to intervene because of his claimed religious beliefs. Yeah, indeed. I mean, your your thoughts on, on his death? I mean, end of an era, I suppose. But he has been behind bars, uh, women safe from him uh, uh, for, for many years. But um, he, he he attracted a certain level of sort of fan uh, didn't he? Uh, which I found you know quite particularly repulsive. Um, but but uh, he was such a notorious character. But I mean, I mean, frankly, you know, good riddance. Um, my immediate reaction is hell has a new resident. Um, many serial killers attract fans, though. There is a there is a, a, a very bizarre subculture in which um, members of the public will write to serial killers and collect uh, their artwork, their letters, uh, any other kinds of memorabilia that they're, they're prepared to get their hands on. I think the key issue today is not so much to remember Sutcliffe 
The key issue today is to remember the 13 women that he killed, the seven people he was convicted of attempting to kill, and the many other women who have been murdered and who it is believed that Sutcliffe also may have been responsible for their deaths. He has taken those secrets to the grave. But what we need to remember today is much more about the misogyny, the hatred of women that drove this man's behavior as opposed to the serial killer, Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire River, the Ripper, the man who changes his name to Peter Coonan. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.